like to speak tonight on the subject of our reasonable faith. My text this evening is found in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, where we read this, But sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. What is the Christian faith? I think particularly tonight of those who are young, who grow up in the age and the generation that we live in, and maybe you think of the Christian faith a little bit like this. It's like a man standing, a man or a woman or a young person standing on the tenth floor of a block of flats and you're asked to jump out and all there is underneath you is thin air and the hard ground. It's just a hope and see. Close your eyes and hope for the best. Is that what the Christian faith is about? A faith that has no foundations, no security. It's just what we might call blind faith. That's not the faith of the Bible. We find that to be a total myth. No, the faith of the Bible is based upon solid evidence. There are clear foundations for our faith. Don't believe what people tell you, that the Christian faith is a leap into the dark, a jump into the unknown. No, we have very good reasons. Now, don't get me wrong, we can't argue anybody into the kingdom of heaven. This isn't about argument. This is about looking at clear evidence and answers to the questions that we all have from time to time. It's been said there's no need to throw away your minds. The only thing that we need to throw away is our pride. That's the great problem when we come to the word of God we come with our own ideas and notions and thoughts, but we don't need to throw away the intellect. No, our faith is a reasonable faith. What do I mean by reasonable? I mean that there are val valid reasons, clear, logical reasons to believe in the word of God, to be true in its message, to be the only message that can save us from sin. There is an expression in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 where Luke writes down that there are many infallible proofs. I don't know exactly what he had in mind, but I'm sure he was referring to Christ's life as evidence and proof, which is undisputable and infallible. It was referring to his resurrection a fact that really cannot be denied, and to the word of God and the church that grew against all opposition. How can you explain these things unless they be true, unless they be credible and believable? Just think of all the prophecies of the Bible, thousands, and yet they've come to be true. Well, Peter here in 1 Peter chapter 3 speaks about giving an answer. This is a word 
don't often like to talk about Greek words. I don't know Greek, but we can look these things up. And the word here is a word that we have in our English. To give an answer, an apologetic. The word doesn't mean to apologize. No, no, we don't apologize. For the Christian faith, it means to make a defense, to give an answer. Our translation is very good. It says there is a case, there is a challenge made. Is this word of God true? Is the Christian message real? And Peter says, we, we who are in Christ, we should be ready always to give an answer, to make a case, to raise our defence to everyone that asks you for a reason. Is your faith real? That's really the question I want to answer tonight. And my answer, very simply, is yes. We have a reasonable faith, one that can be reasoned. That's the line that... Peter takes here. This is an expression, this word apologesia, apologetic, which is used throughout the book of Acts. I just give you two references. You don't need to turn to it. Acts 22 verse 1, the Apostle Paul is standing before a large crowd. He's being challenged and he starts and says, men and brethren, hear my defense, my apologetic, my answer. It's the same again in chapter 25 of Acts and verse 16. You remember he was stood before Festus and he's asked to defend himself. He doesn't want anybody else to defend him. As a Roman citizen, he has a right to defend himself. And he says, it's right that I give an answer for myself concerning the crime that I've been accused of. So on both occasions he gives a defence. So I want tonight to hold out before you that the Christian faith that we believe and that every Christian relies upon is a credible, believable, trustworthy Christianity. And this thought that people have today that this is blind, empty, foundationless faith is just not true. In fact, it's the very opposite. If there's somebody here tonight and you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't take at face value what the Word of God says and its claims you're the one that's jumping from the tenth floor of a sky-rise block and you've got nothing underneath you. You've got nothing to fall on because you have a blind faith. You're hoping there is no God, no day of judgment, no accountability. And so let's look at this thought together. We want to give reasons. I don't pretend to try and argue you into the kingdom of heaven, but it's right from time to time to look at some of the arguments that we can make, which fits with this verse that we should be ready to give an answer, make a defence to every man that asks for a reason. If somebody asks you a question in the street, can you give a defence for why the word of God is true, 
and right. And we have to be careful at the end of this verse. We don't do it with arrogance. Sometimes people think they can belligerently force people and argue them. No, Peter says here, we give a reason of the hope, eternal hope, certain hope, that is in you with meekness and fear. We must approach this with humility. We must come before people and give these reasons, not because we're clever, not because we know better, but because the Lord has opened our hearts. We remember that once many of us sat in darkness and it wasn't us that worked it out, it was the Holy Spirit that opened our hearts. So we do this with meekness and with fear. We come with humility. It's only God that can open the heart and awaken us to feel our sin and be convicted. It's only the Lord that can show us our spiritual need is met in Christ alone. Well, these evidences, and I want to go through a number tonight, they're arguments that you might have heard, reasons that you might have thought of before, but perhaps there is some that you've not thought of, and particularly the young people tonight. If you get challenged at school, if there's an RE teacher who says, how can you believe the Bible? How can you believe that old, dusty book to be true? Well, maybe some of these things tonight, you can store them in your mind. They are both internal, things that we can think about in our mind, and they're external, things that we see round about us. Well, the first one is this. Here's a reason to believe the word of God and to believe that it's true, and it's this. What meaning and purpose is there in life without God? If there is no God, then this life is pointless. And you know, the greatest philosophers have never come up with an answer to that question. What's the point of life without God and without knowing God? The Apostle Paul said, it's in him we live and we move and we have our being, our very existence, our thought pattern, our hearts. They only have a meaning. There is only value in life if God reveals it to us. There's only a purpose in life in the way that God intended. That's just logical. The one that made us, gave us a reason to be, gave us a purpose, gives us meaning, and we only find our meaning and our purpose by knowing the God that made us. He gives each one all that we need. This planet is the only one in the universe that has the means to support life. Every attempt to search for life on other planets is really just a, an attempt to disprove that we are unique. And that God has made us and given us a purpose. Do you know, scientists nowadays, they admit that the universe had a definite beginning. There was a time when 
the universe began. And you know, once you realize that, there has to be a cause. There has to be a cause to breathe meaning, purpose, and existence into the world. If you have an infinite eternity and there was never a beginning, then there is no cause and there's no meaning and there's no purpose in life. Meaning and purpose. God is the only one that gives us that meaning and that purpose. Have you found that in your life? Are you just existing, surviving? Or have you found the meaning and purpose of life through knowing Jesus Christ, the one who said in John 10.10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Well, there's a second reason. This is one we think of quite often. The reason of creation. This special world, so finely tuned, the scientists tell us, that there is so much mathematics in the world, in the intricacies of the human cell, that if it was put out of balance by one tiny bit, nothing would work. Special creation. Not blind faith. Just think of beauty. Just think of the amount of symmetry that we see in the world around us. If you have an explosion... If you have an accident, you don't get symmetry. Just think of music. None of us would listen to a symphony or a beautiful piece of music and think it just got there. We think, who's the composer? Is it Beethoven? Is it Mozart? There must be a composer. We look at a painting. We don't think that Rembrandt didn't exist. We look at the paintings and we think, what a skillful person. Push the oil around on the canvas to make it real, to make it meaningful. All these are just evidences that there is special creation. There is one behind, the God who designed, the God who finally tunes everything in the universe that he has touched and that he has made. Here's a third reason that we can give. How do we know that Hitler was a vile killer? How can you say that murder is wrong unless there is a God who reveals right from wrong? Who's to say it's wrong to abuse, to harm, to kill, to destroy? Because, you know, in the world with no God, there's just the law of the jungle. And the law of the jungle is no law. It's just the survival of the fittest. Have you heard that expression before? Darwin's theory? No, there is right and there is wrong. We know that deep down. Across the world, there is a uniform knowledge of right and wrong, and that didn't evolve it was given to us. We've read this evening Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. The laws that men and women make are far from perfect. They're inconsistent. They're contradictory. 
They say the law is an ass, but God's law is perfect. Where would we be without the law of God? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, showing us there is a God, showing us that we're sinners, showing us that we have need of him, and that one day we will be held to an account and we will be responsible right and wrong in this world. Look what happens in a nation when you throw away the laws of God and you make it up from one day to the next and you get these inconsistencies where the politicians in public life can say this is right and in private life they do the complete opposite. What a mess. A world without God has no right and no wrong. You try and think that through. What about the soul? The soul. Imagine a world without the knowledge that we have souls, an unseen part of our life where we have that meaning, where we place value and dignity, where we think of what God has said, where we reason, where we make choices, where we love and where we hate. If we're just animal, what would the world be like? It would be dog eats dog. It would be a world with no love, no dignity, no value placed upon life. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what we have today? When the Bible is thrown out, life has no value and babies are killed. And old people are killed early because life is no longer dignified. The God of the Bible is the one that puts the highest value possible on the human life and it values the soul more than anything else. Just another reason. What about death? Do you know the world we live in today? I read this recently. There has been a 20% reduction in funerals in this country because people really don't want to acknowledge death anymore. They don't want to acknowledge that when our life comes to an end, there is death and death is not the end. That's what people want to think. They want to not remember that our soul will be detached from the body and there is an eternity. And that in that eternity, we will be held to account. Those who have the knowledge of Christ, that their sins have been washed and cleansed, will be with him forever. Just look down at verse 18. We can't skip over a verse like this. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. There's the gospel. The just, the only just one. For the unjust, that's you and me. That he might bring us to God if we don't come to him now. If we don't seek his forgiveness, death for us will be a separation from God. And from all the blessings that we've known in this life, 
even if we're not a Christian. Because when we're in hell, we will have no presence of God, no blessing. But he was put to death in the flesh. And then he was brought to life by the Spirit. He rose again, raised to newness of life, just as every Christian will be. When we die, we will rise again, quickened by the Spirit. Here's another thought. When we look back through history, and we look through all those who've lived and all the great events of the world, how can you make head nor tail of the inhumanity of man to man, of those great atrocities that have happened in the world? You think in China, one of the presidents of China killed 40 million people? When you look back through history, how can you make any sense of why the world just didn't get worse and worse and disappear? It's only because the grace of God has preserved a time and an opportunity for sinners, you and I, to hear the message of God, the message of salvation. It's only because of his kindness that we can live in this world today. That's the only reason wars stop and why the world hasn't been erased by nuclear bombs and by weapons. If it's not for the sovereignty and the kindness of God, where would we be in this world? Where would history have taken us? The world will not disappear until God says so, until he determines that every one of his sheep has been gathered in. We have a sovereign God. That's the only way you can make sense of the whole of history, is if the kind hand of God was guiding all of history, allowing war to happen for a time, and allowing a season and an opportunity for grace and for the message of the gospel. Let me tell you one more answer that we can give. How do you make any sense of the Bible? This book, which has been above any other book, the most hated and the most loved at the same time. A book that has been destroyed and burned and hated and outlawed and yet more printed than any other book ever by a quantum. How can you explain that unless it was the Lord that gave the word and great was the company of those that published it and proclaimed it? This astonishing book that makes sense of everything. Surely this is God's word and that's why it's hated and that's why it's loved in equal and opposite measure. The word of God. Well, just a few more reasons. How can you explain consciousness? Do you ever think of that? When a person dies, consciousness stops. I trust we all have consciousness here tonight. It's a warm room. Consciousness, awareness of who we are, 
what's happening around us, the scientists have absolutely no explanation biologically for consciousness. It's a complete mystery to them how we can be aware of who we are and what's happening around us and yet the moment that breath stops, that consciousness disappears. Except the word of God explains that we have life because it's God-breathed. The spirit is the consciousness. And when that consciousness stops, our life has ended. That's a mystery. That we can have the ability to reason and to be aware and to have a consciousness. Or just two more of these answers that we can give. What about evil and suffering? We've spoken of some of the shocking, horrendous things that have happened in the history of the world. How can you explain it? How can you explain why such terrible things happen? Very often people use this as a challenge against Christianity. They say, how can a God of love allow such things to happen? They suddenly believe in God and ask the question, assuming there is a God, to try to deny that there is a God. What a contradictory circle that is. But the God of the Bible explains that sin and war and conflict and divorce and death came into the world because we made a choice. A choice to break God's law. A choice to deny that God has said. A choice to step over the line. That's what sin is. That's what all the atrocities and the wars in the world are. They are rejecting God and they're pretending there's no meaning and no value for life and that we can do as we please. But just one more answer. Do you know this is perhaps the most compelling? Do you know in life, your life, my life, we are incomplete without God. If you go through life and you just eat, drink and be happy and be merry, what's the point? But you know there is a point to life. The point is that we should find God and as this verse says that we should have a hope in him. Do you have that hope tonight? Is there somebody here that you have a hopeless life? Because you don't know Jesus Christ. You're in the world without Christ and without hope. Well, tonight my desire is that you would have what we call saving faith. Not empty faith, but faith that is reasonable, that is logical, that is evidence to support it. But I want you tonight to know you are incomplete unless you have a new heart that beats for God, that desires to live for him, and that desires to know your sins forgiven. What a difference Christ makes within a life. You look at a person outside of God, they've got no boundaries, it seems. They've got no identity. 
And the answer of history is that such a life is empty and helpless. But when we know Jesus Christ, when we have him, we have a reason of the hope that is within us, a sure, a certain, a foundation-full hope. And we say this with meekness and with fear, knowing that we didn't reason it out. It was Christ who came to us. May we tonight do as this verse says, sanctify the Lord God, set him apart. Acknowledge who he is. Acknowledge that he is the reason for life. And he is the only hope in death. And come to him. There are good reasons for why you can trust the word of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will know that sure and that certain hope. Let's pray together. Our loving, gracious Father, we're thankful that we do not need to leap into the dark but we can hold on to Christ, to his word. And we've been given conscience, reason. We've been given the ability to see and to think and to discover. Oh Lord, help us to make great spiritual discoveries in life that we would have that sure, certain hope and saving faith which is found only in Jesus Christ. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.